0: I'm curious, do you have a system or process for setting and achieving your goals? This is one area that yoga teachers often neglect, and I think it's a big reason that so many feel like they're spinning their wheels or have no idea where to focus their energy. I'm a huge believer in intuition and following your gut, and I also believe that that kind of instinct needs to be balanced with systems, structures, and yes, logic. Hello, yoga teacher. For me, 2020 has shown how important and effective the right kind of goal setting is. Because I work with yoga teachers one-on-one and also in groups, I've been able to see different yoga teachers have very different experiences over the past year. Some have given up teaching. Some have put their teaching on hold. Some have pivoted, but just a bit. And others have made enormous shifts in their businesses. I'm not here to say whether one of those scenarios is inherently better than another, but I will say that the yoga teachers who I see thriving are the ones who ride a balance between flexibility and structure. Those who relied too heavily on intuition and going with the flow didn't really have anywhere to turn when their lives changed so drastically last March. A lot of them ended up jumping online without a long-term strategy and I heard so many reports of yoga teachers feeling burnt out of online teaching by the end of the summer because the structures that they created around the online teaching weren't sustainable. Those who were more attached to the structures of their current business model were slow to adapt. They were kind of in denial about how long this would last, and many of them felt by midsummer that they'd kind of missed the boat and they felt behind. I've heard a lot of stories of studios closing up shop suddenly and refusing to offer refunds to students in the middle of a multiple thousand dollar teacher training. I feel for those studio owners because I know they found themselves in what felt like an impossible position, yet I sincerely believe that a better process for planning and goal setting goes a long way to prevent that kind of damaging impact because obviously I also feel for the students who were, had the rug swept out from under them. The yoga teachers in my world who were already more balanced in their approach to planning and goal setting are the ones who I've seen pivot gracefully online, actually increase their revenue during the past year. And I've heard so many of them say, I'm never going back to doing things the old way. Some of you have asked me how COVID impacted my business. And as this kind of relevant to the conversation, I'm happy to share the biggest impact for me was that I suddenly lost my full time childcare and had a lot less time to work. This caused me to raise my one to one rates and not be able to take on as many one to one clients. And I really switched to looking at working with people in bigger groups. So here's the interesting thing it's a move that I already knew was going to eventually happen because of the long-term planning and goal setting that I've been doing for the past several years. So instead of trying to invent a business model that I had never thought of before, I was able to move ahead on projects that were already in the works faster than I had anticipated. And did I make a few more mistakes because of that? Most definitely. But the truth is, I was bound to make mistakes anyway. So overall, I'm in the camp of COVID was a positive thing for my business. The biggest roadblock for me was that I needed to hire help. That was the biggest realization that I had just a month or two in. And it took me three whole months. (laughs) And in hindsight, I realized that I should have gotten help in hiring somebody. But the good news is I found someone who's amazing and so maybe my long, drawn-out process was worthwhile, and it's definitely part of my, v- my values to view the past in a positive light. So do I wish COVID never happened? Well, heck yes, for all the people who have died and lost their jobs. But for myself, I'm not suffering from it. It has been one of those catalysts that forced me to take actions I wouldn't have taken anyway. And here's a little personal insight. It also forced my husband to do the same thing. He is closing a practice that he has run for 24 years, and I believe that what he's going to end up doing on the other side is going to be way better for him, but he had built this This business into quite a complex monster. And so right now it's hard for him. Shutting it down is a massive undertaking and very, very stressful, but because I'm not him and I'm not in the thick of it, I can see what's on the other side and it is way more freedom and way more time to live his values and also practice self-care, which he, let's be honest here, he is not great at at least not with the structure that his life has had for the past 24 plus years. Overall, my experience of 2020 has been a validation of my commitment to planning and goal setting. And today I'm going to share with you a bit about my process and what I think is the most important part, centering my values. I believe that a big part of why yoga teachers and other service-hearted humans have such a negative view of business is that many of the most visible examples of business are ones whose values are either diametrically opposed to our own or kind of non-existent. In the US, it's against the charter of a corporation to center anything else above profit, meaning that a board of directors is in their right to remove a CEO who chooses not to drill on Arctic land or open more dollar stores in fresh food deserts because their imperative as a organization is profit. Fortunately, there are some inspiring exceptions, such as Patagonia and even a new type of corporate structure called a B Corp, where the values of public benefit are embedded in their bylaws. So that's a really cool development and one that I would love to see more publicized and more people made aware of this new model for being a larger business. Whatever their corporate structure, I believe yoga businesses need to be run more like B Corps than like C Corps. The reason for this is that ethics are so deeply woven into the purpose and practice of yoga that if you don't center your values within your yoga business, you can hardly claim to be teaching yoga. And I believe that because meaning and purpose is a basic human need, Keeping your values front and center will keep you motivated and inspired to do the hard things that are necessary to build your business and make a positive impact in the world. In short, infusing your values into your yoga business in a regular and systematic way is essential for building a sustainable business that inspires and feeds you for the long term. So how do you bring your values into goal setting specifically And how do you keep them centered during day-to-day decision-making? First of all, kind of obviously, you do need to know what they are. You need to get very specific about your values. Each year, I like to make a ritual out of checking in with my values because the reality is they do change and grow and evolve as I do. So here's what my ritual looks like. I start by brainstorming all the different things that are important to me. These include priorities, deeply held beliefs, and fundamental driving forces. Then I look at an external list of values. I downloaded it off the internet somewhere to help me fill in the gaps of anything that I was blanking on during the brainstorm. Because let's be honest here, I'm not always firing on all cylinders (laughs) in every moment. So it helps to have kind of a, external list to fill in the gaps. As I look through my bigger list of values, my brainstorm, I start to group like with like. Some words will be very similar to each other, and some will be a container or a subset of another word. Once my words are grouped the best I can, I look through the groups and choose three to five of them. And out of each group, I try to figure out what is the top level word or concept A top-level word is a word where the meaning contains the meaning of a different word. So for example, authenticity contains truthfulness. Does that make sense? So truthfulness is one aspect of authenticity, but there are other aspects of authenticity as well. So out of the two, authenticity is higher level than truth. Not as a value judgment, but just conceptually. Because authenticity contains truth then I get to have truth plus vulnerability plus self-acceptance. So by doing it this way, I can choose maybe three core values that actually refer to other sub values at the same time. But instead of being so confusing by having like nine or 10 core values, I have three. And when I think of the word authenticity or the concept of authenticity, all of these sub values come to me as well. So I do this exercise from scratch about once a year so that I can track how my values and my priorities change over time. I don't assume that they're necessarily going to be exactly the same, especially after a doozy of a year like 2020. I can see a lot of people having something like stability or security come up where that might have not been one of their top values last year. Once I have my current list of values, I look at what I'm focused on in my business currently, and I ask myself, whether or not this current focus is in alignment with my values. This framework can help me understand why a project isn't drawing my attention the way that I thought it would. So in a sense, what I'm looking for when I examine my current project is misalignment. Is there a misalignment here? And if so, I may want to reevaluate my focus. After I check with the present, I also look back on the past year This is a great time to notice and even celebrate what I've achieved over the past year. And also to have that same question, do my achievements reflect my values? When your achievements are in line with your values, it feels particularly sweet and it's really worth savoring because you can fill your cup and encourage more of the same By taking some time to notice and enjoy the feeling of success, the feeling of achievement, because that is something that the human brain is really motivated by. It's not necessarily uh, very directly correlated to anything from yoga philosophy, but from neuroscience, we know that really savoring our wins and our successes helps us set the stage for more. And my personal worldview is that when those successes are in alignment with our values, then there's a sense of coherence where all of the pieces of our self-identity fit better together. And this helps us feel more self-esteem, more self-acceptance, and more willingness to go out and take risks and do hard things in the future. Looking at your year and your achievements And even your challenges might also point out some places where you were not in alignment with your goals. And if that's the case, it's good to notice. You can kind of pinpoint where you think you went off track and also make a plan for not repeating your mistakes. At the same time, I wouldn't dwell on this too much because it's really not helpful and counterproductive to beat yourself up about it. So you want to create a little space, a little neutrality around it where you notice, okay, that was a mistake. And here's what I'm going to do differently next time. And then just move right on. Once you've set your goals and done some reflection about your current and past projects, it's time to set new goals. My preference is to focus on goals that can be achieved in three months or less. Now, if you have a bigger goal, that is awesome but consider choosing a milestone to focus on that you can reach within the three month timeframe. My system for choosing goals is similar to the one for choosing values in that it starts with a brainstorm. Just list out any possible goal you might be able to achieve within the next three months. It's completely fine if the list isn't very long because sometimes what you want to create is very obvious and it feels silly and extra to list out a bunch more things. But if you look at your list and you don't really feel inspired, consider pushing through and using my bad idea method to generate more ideas and to unlock your creativity. The bad idea method is an adaptation of Julia Cameron's exercise about bad art from The Artist's Way. The Artist's Way is a book that influenced me a huge amount in my early 20s. So the bad ideas brainstorming method is that instead of censoring yourself, you actually deliberately write down bad ideas. Try to think of bad ideas and write them down because that starts your brain, it kind of frees your brain up from its sense of restriction and perfectionism and gets you outside of your modes of normal thinking. Once you do have a list of brainstormed goals, you can obviously just get rid of the bad ones. But what happens when you use the bad ideas method is that your brain is going to start associating the bad ideas with other concepts. And so you will eventually come back to good ideas. And obviously you can write those good ideas down too. That's kind of the whole point. So you cross off all the bad ideas. You narrow down your good ideas to kind of the top three to five and see if you can identify a keystone goal. A keystone goal is a goal that would make the other goals, maybe some of them, maybe all of them, possible, or even would move those other goals along as a natural byproduct. Now, it's not always realistic to choose a keystone goal, but it is ideal. It does work better to have a more narrow, specific, clear focus. So, whenever possible, choose that one main goal to focus on for about three months. Remember that if you have a bigger goal, this might actually be a milestone on the way to that bigger goal. And by using the timeframe of three months, you're setting yourself up to check in with your values and your goals about four times a year. In their book, The 12-Week Year, authors Michael Lennington and Brian Loran claim that most humans can realistically only project about 12 weeks into the future anyway. I don't have any studies to back that up. On a personal level, though, I do find this rhythm to be really, really spot on for me. I also love that it still works into the 12-month framework that our culture operates under because it breaks down to four cycles per calendar year. By the way, I don't do the values exercise every time I set goals. I just do the values once a year. The other three goal-setting cycles, I check my goals against my values, but I just keep the same ones for the year. Now it's a given that you are going to have other obligations and activities that are ongoing, but when you set one clear goal for a three month period, you now have an excellent benchmark for figuring out where to focus when faced with an unorganized to-do list. You can just ask yourself, which of these tasks are going to make progress towards that singular keystone goal? And I bring this up because it's one of the biggest complaints or challenges I hear from yoga teachers. There's so much to do. I don't know where to focus. So this goal setting system is perfect for solving that problem with just one caveat. You do have to actually work the system. So that means you need to sit down either at the beginning or the end of each week and look at your task list and your goal, your overarching goal. During that time, it can be as short as 20 or 30 minutes. If you have a really more complicated business, it might be a bit longer. Evaluate the tasks on your list and schedule them into your calendar. Schedule the most important things first, not the easiest things, which is often one of the tricks we do, we play on ourselves to help us feel like we're being productive. We get all the easy stuff done first and we avoid the hard stuff. And the truth is that when you get the hard stuff done, you free up way more energy and mental space than when you get the easy stuff done. So this is kind of a tough habit to get into, but the more you can train yourself to do the hard stuff first the easier life is actually going to feel. I know it's kind of crazy and counterintuitive because you will end up doing more hard stuff, but the hard stuff gets easier the more you do it. And you are more often left with kind of like an easy to-do list for the rest of your week. This is kind of like the opposite of procrastination, you know, it's like anti-procrastination, but this is really has been one of the most important lessons for me as a business owner is training myself, building this habit of do the hard stuff first. And it's been powerful because examples are really helpful for learning. I'm going to give you some ideas for the types of goals you might set for a three month period. You could do 100 market research conversations. Now that would be a pretty big goal, by the way. I think I set myself that goal a couple years ago and it took me four months instead of three, but having that goal really lit a fire under me and I got it done way faster than I would have if I had, let's say, given myself a year, obviously. Another goal you could set is record one video per day. Maybe you'll post some of those videos, maybe you'll post all of them, but having that expectation of every single day, I'm going to just turn the camera on and record something will go a long way towards building confidence and skills in front of a camera. Another goal could be add 500 new subscribers to your email list or Build out the content and technology for an online course. Write the outline and first chapter of a book. Reach out to 24 colleagues for collaboration of some kind. This could be social media takeovers, Facebook or Instagram lives, podcast episodes, guest blog posting, co-hosting a workshop, or probably almost another million possible ways to collaborate that I'm not even thinking of right now. Now, notice that these goals I've suggested follow the SMART goal framework, meaning that they're specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. With achievable being kind of squishy there, they are achievable. Whether you can achieve them in the three-month time frame or not, that is based on your individual circumstances. So let's dive really briefly into each of these attributes of a SMART goal. The time frame or timeliness is the three months that we already are starting with. Specific means it's really clear what you're gonna do. For example, when I hear record one video per day, I can picture you with your phone recording a video. So there's no question about what you actually have to do to achieve the goal. Measurable means that you're gonna know for sure at the end of the three months, whether or not you reached your goal and how close you got to your goal. Did you have 100 conversations or did you have 98? Nothing wrong with getting 98 because that's really close to 100, but you want to set your goals in a way that you are super clear on exactly how far you got versus some vague notion of, yeah, I made some progress. Once you're 98% of the way towards a goal, It actually feels pretty motivating to have those final two conversations and just check that goal off your list as accomplished versus a less measurable goal where you might be more likely to give up, such as grow my email list, right? With no numbers attached. Did you get 10 more people? Did you get 500, 5,000? The A in SMART goals stands for achievable. And that means a goal that is realistic, but it should feel like a bit of a stretch, So you don't want to get your goal accomplished in the first week and then feel again adrift like, what do I do next? Nor do you want to give yourself such an impossible task that you feel excessive pressure or you give up before you even find out what you're capable of. The final one is relevant and relevant means that you are clear about why this goal is important and at least have a general sense of what the next steps will be after that goal. For example, if you choose to focus on getting 500 new email subscribers, that's not just for vanity. You want to find the right people, the ones who are going to be excited to sign up for your future offerings. And so the way you execute your goal is going to have that in mind, that eventually you want these people to sign up for something with you. So once you have chosen your keystone goal and modified it to fit the SMART goal framework, Ask yourself the following questions about your goal. One, why is this goal important? Two, how does this goal relate to your values? Three, which of your values will you need to rely on or will you use as you're working towards this goal? Four, which of your values will achieving this goal reinforce? Five, what support do you need to achieve this goal? And six, what training or tools do you need to achieve this goal? After you answer those questions, it may inspire you to go back and tweak your goal a bit to bring it more fully in alignment with your values, your vision, and your capacity. Then you'll break your three-month goal down into as many specific milestones as you can. And as a bonus, use a project management tool like Asana, which is what my team uses, and enter those milestones into your project management tool and give them a due date. I know it might be difficult to fully envision when each thing is going to be accomplished, so those due dates will probably change as you go. But starting out with a due date is going to bring them to the top of your attention. And when they come up, you're going to look at that and you're going to say, wow, I thought I would be here by this time. So I'm learning how long things actually take. Now let me project into the future based on what I now know about how long this stuff takes. And let me give it a new due date. Okay. Once you do all that, oh my goodness, that was a lot. Take some time to celebrate because you have just given yourself the best possible chance for setting the right goals and moving towards your bigger vision with momentum. This kind of intentionality will set you apart from 99% of the yoga teachers out there who are just as talented and just as passionate, but don't know how to direct that passion with focus and follow through. This is the exact process that has driven my mission to help yoga teachers make an impact with their teaching. I know that you have an important vision to help people through your teaching too. One of my personal superpowers is adapting and translating tools, techniques, and strategies from the non-yoga world to fit with our shared ethics and values from yoga philosophy. And that's a lot of what I share on this podcast. So before I let you go for the day, let's do a self-care check-in. Sometimes goal setting gets us all fired up and we start to expect a level of production from ourselves that isn't realistic without letting go of self-care. Or maybe that's just me. Anyway, if you can relate, check back with your goals one final time and look at the actual circumstances of your life. Are you gonna be able to make this happen with only stretching yourself a moderate amount and take good care of yourself at the same time? If the answer is yes, then what systems, habits, and strategies will you need to develop or maintain in order to do so? If the answer is no, go back and choose one of your milestones as your three-month goal. I know that we do need to push ourselves sometimes to grow, but more and more, I want to normalize maintaining self-care even through those periods of push and growth. That's what I have for you this week, my friend. Thank you so very much for listening. And thank you for caring enough to study and teach yoga. These tools that we share as yoga teachers are very needed in the world right now. And I believe that your voice matters. Take good care of yourself And check back next week for another dose of knowledge, techniques, and inspiration just for yoga teachers.